0: Today on The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson and welcome to The Scott Thompson Show podcast. On today's show, China has announced that a Canadian man accused of drug trafficking will face the death penalty. This all in retaliation to the Huawei case. That coming up, plus a young Saudi refugee has been welcomed to Canada. Is this help or just a PR stunt for the prime minister's office? And a new Washington Post article says Trump has made an effort to conceal details of his meeting with Vladimir Putin. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Tell your friends. Hope you enjoy the show. We remember before Christmas uh, how this whole sort of thing started. And I guess we're just assuming these are all related. Uh, the arrest of the Huawei CFO in uh, sorry Vancouver, uh, while well, uh, changing flights prior to Christmas. Uh, then after that we saw uh, two Canadians detained and uh, being held there, a business person and a, uh, a former uh, diplomat, I guess. And, and then a series of other people who over time, I guess, not much news came of them and it, it appeared as if uh, they were going to be released. And uh, then, of course, the story uh, comes in of that of Robert uh, Schellenberg. Uh, he had been charged with drug trafficking in, uh, in China, and all of a sudden now he faces the death penalty. Uh, it appears as if his... His, uh, I guess, route to justice has changed a little bit. To talk more about all of this, Gordon Holden uh, Gordon Holden is with us. Gordon is the director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta, and is with us now. Gordon, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Are you surprised what has transpired here?
1: I say yes and no. I am convinced that the decision to uh, order the... Um, uh, the retrial and appeal um, the timing did not look good for Robert Schoenberg, uh because of the Huawei event, and I think we've now had quick confirmation of that uh Chinese justice uh moves very swiftly. The fact that this is only a few days after the Chinese announced the retrial is not surprising. I think he has about ten days to appeal the death sentence, and it could be carried out in within shortly after that time frame. Uh, China doesn't waste time in the judicial system, and uh, this so this is a real present danger to him, to his surviving.
0: Was he on a different route to justice? Like, this is certainly not a new case for them. Uh, this has been on, he's been detained for a while. Was he on a different route uh, to justice, and then all of a sudden, boom, this, you know, it took this direction?
1: I think so. Now, this goes back, he was arrested back in 2014, so looking at almost five years ago. I think perhaps if he had not, if it hadn't been for this case of Huawei Madam Meng, that uh, his appeal might have been denied, 15 years he's facing, is very long by Canadian standards for for such an offense, but not extraordinary for China. Uh, But, of course, it's impossible to know, the Chinese won't help us. Chinese government won't help us by admitting the fact they denied that there is a linkage between the cases. But the fact that it was sent down and then the, the appeal leading to the death sentence, it's very hard not to see that as being linked to the Hmong case. Uh, we won't know for certain, but to me, that is the most likely fact. And the Chinese um, editorials and state media. Um, while denying this is the case, uh, aren't terribly convincing. They, they trumpet China's tough line on drugs, etc. Uh, I think that, and, and criticize the views of Canadians towards the issue of drug smuggling as being rather lenient, etc. cetera. Um, I, I just see this as um, a part and parcel of the overall Chinese reaction to someone who's a VVIP for them, that is, Madam Monk.
0: Uh, will this change the direction of the CFO's fate? Will does that change anything here? The fact that this person is is now could be facing the death sentence.
1: It would be very hard to do so. The um, Canada has been saying, I think correctly from the get go, that this matters before the courts, um, and there is no precedent, no way, quite frankly, in which the prime minister can call the judge in question. There is a last review, that is. Should the extradition court determine to proceed with the extradition, uh, the judge so determining that it was a case to be heard in the United States, the justice minister has an opportunity to to uh, intervene, one last chance. But her opportunity has only predicated on two things. One is that the person would be mistreated in the United States, Madame Meng would be subject to torture, or that the case is politically generated in the United States. Failing that, the extradition would proceed. Uh, I don't see a mechanism where... Canada could say, whoops, we're going to help Mr. Sheltonberg perhaps by um, releasing Ms. Mung. Um, in other words, we're caught in a bind where things are moving towards outcomes uh, that, uh, without a lot of opportunity for a political intervention on the Canadian side. Uh, if things play out as they appear to be, uh, Mr. Scheltenberg is likely to be executed, and Ms. Mung will either be sent back or, or her case will be found not as substantive enough Um, With appeals on the Canadian side, it could be dragged out quite a while. So I have this feeling we have ships in motion but very difficult to alter their courses.
0: So you don't think Canada will cave to these threats or detainments and give her up, nor can they for that matter?
1: I don't think can without um, an extraordinary and I would argue probably unprecedented intervention in the judicial process. Uh, Parliament is ultimately sovereign, one could say, but I, I just don't see that happening. And quite frankly, there are uh, our own system of justice would be dealt a blow. There also could be the argument that in the future, um, foreign governments could seize Canadians and use this as, as pressure to alter outcomes of trials in Canada. So it would be it would send us down another road which mm. we have not been on, uh, with its own substantive risks.
0: Do you think uh, uh, Schellenberg has sort of been kept on the bar on the back burner as a bargaining chip for whatever is needed?
1: not sure about that. I have a feeling without the Hmong intervention, this um, appeal would, my guess is, would probably have been denied, and he would have had to serve his, his 15 years. Uh, but when this, the Hmong case came up, and he then, he had appealed only briefly before the Hmong case, so he then opened the door to what would appear to be political interference in his case at the highest level. So I think it's really unfortunate timing, super unfortunate timing for him that, that his case came in November um, for the appeal, then opening the door to the court, setting it back down for what would uh, turn out to be the worst possible sentence for him. He is a victim of, well, whatever the guilt or innocence on the drug trafficking charge, the timing has been most unfortunate for him.
0: How, if uh, this, in in fact, does happen, and he is sentenced to death, how would he die?
1: He's been sentenced to death already. Um, uh, most frequently, it's a, a bullet to the back of the neck. Um, but in some cases, it's lethal injection.
0: Wow. Um, how, you know, considering uh, that, that China is already interwoven in the North American economy, that being said... They're certainly always trying for more. The the 5G network, a, a good example of that. How does this alter the perception of China as a business partner moving forward? Considering for so long we were doing so much to woo them, and and, and you know it was it was thought of the land of opportunity.
1: Well, I think this really deals a serious blow to the image of, of China and Canada. I think some recent polls uh, point that out. Um, it, it also leaves us. Let's put aside those legal cases just for a second, leaves us in a very difficult position where we have always counted on ready access to the United States. Now we have a situation where not just our wood, but our, our steel and aluminum are subject to tariffs. There's been question marks over the continuation of the new NAFTA, USMEC, if you wish, how we wish to pronounce it. Um, we are being driven back into even greater dependence on the U.S. market, uh, which means that our access to the second largest economy, perhaps soon to be the largest economy, may be limited. And for some of the things that Canada exports, like canola, China's already the number one market. BC BC lumber, China's the number one market. So there are real economic implications that may follow from this. I don't think that's where China wants to go, and certainly not where we want to go. But with public opinion in Canada, I think pretty solidly um, upset about the treatment of Canadians there. Uh, I think that uh, it'll be impossible in the near to medium time frame to have anything like an FTA with China or something that is a uh, would would give us better access to the China market. It's going to shift opinion, at least in the interim time, strongly against China, limiting, I think, the options of any government in that regard.
0: Considering China and their movement uh, to to markets here, are you surprised by how they're handling this? Because they're certainly not doing Huawei or anyone any favors by any of this.
1: They are not doing Huawei any favors, and while I think it makes it even tougher to grant Huawei access to five G, government may not want Canadian government may not want to make that announcement right now, uh, for fear it might hurt the the status of the detained Canadians. But in the longer term, yes, they're not doing themselves a favor. I think that you know we're now seeing a, a much more powerful China. That will take into account um, economic issues, but also not want to be seen to be bending as a powerful state to that of which they view correctly, I think, a much less powerful state. They are also playing a very tricky game in the United States. Um, the Huawei case, for example, Madame um, Meng was arrested on a warrant, a uh, detention warrant out of the Brooklyn District Court, forwarded by the U.S. Department of Justice. But we've not yet seen any retaliation against the United States. That may come eventually. But I think they, they would like to isolate the weaker partner, that's certainly us, until they see whether they can get a deal uh, with with the United States. So they're not above making putting economic considerations first. I think that we uh, are paying the price for being a smaller, less powerful country.
0: Uh, it was w- interesting over the weekend, I was watching an interview on uh, the CBC with Jim Balsley and him, uh, the former, uh, of course, CEO of, of RIM, and talking about uh, the security issues in regard to Huawei and such. And, and he was surprised that the government was so inactive on, on accepting these threats and accepting that this was a, a scenario we had to be, we had to be aware of. You just can't let them in, per se.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, there's a the jury's out on that one. There's, I'm not a, a defender of Huawei, don't get me wrong. Uh, their equipment is very good and it's much cheaper. I saw uh, America, United States is in the process of evicting Huawei from much of its prominence there, and uh, they may even require that some Huawei equipment be taken out from existing uh, 3G and 4G networks. One Texas telecom provider said that the next alternative, I think it was Ericsson, was four times as expensive.
0: So if you have
1: very high data costs, as we do, excluding the least cost provider has economic consequences. Now, my guess is that with all of that's been happening and with security concerns, chances of Huawei getting into 5G is very limited. But it's very popular with telecom providers in Canada because of its quality and price. I'm not enough of a tech technical expert to know if you can, in effect, isolate the the, the security risks. Uh, some would say yes, some would say no. Uh, but in any case, I think it's going to make it. What we're seeing is beginning of a uh, pulling apart of the North American and uh, Asian economies. Um, China is extremely unpopular in the United States without even these sorts of issues involving uh, American detainees. Uh, I think that uh, when I've been in Washington, I've had a strong sense of, a growing view of Americans, and certainly the American government, bipartisan, both Democrats and Republicans, that China is a threat and that they need to proceed accordingly. That's all well and good, but it does mean for Canada that we are more likely to be bound more tightly into a U.S. dependency. Uh, China was going to be the uh, partial alternative market for us, and that's going to be more difficult to do now.
0: Uh, considering now how this case is elevated from the CFO and the two detainees and now uh, somebody uh, uh, somebody now being uh, put to death in, in China, Canadian now being put to death in China, is this on the U.S. radar? It, it, will this draw more attention to this case?
1: I think so. I mean, there's an article in the uh, Times appeared today, and I, the, the security establishment, the massive security establishment in the United States will be following this very closely. It will also confirm their their negative views, increasing negative views of China, both on the technology side um, and uh, in general. Um, This one, I fear we could be seeing the early innings of what could become a, a Cold War. Not yet set because you still have President Trump trying to pull a rabbit out of the hat with a trade agreement with China. That may be very difficult to do, but longer term, the two seem to be sliding apart. And that uh, will have big implications for us as well, as it did in a the, in the, in the previous Cold War. Um, and there are really serious outcomes down the road from that, both in military terms, security terms. Um, I'm not saying this is inevitable, but the way things are running right now, it's tending in that direction, at least at present.
0: If China goes ahead and executes this man, what what will be the headline the next day?
1: Well, I think there'll be shock and horror for many Canadians, partly because we have abandoned the use of the death penalty for some time. The fact that appeals from the Canadian government, from our prime minister, won't have made any difference. Um, My guess, and I, I can't predict the way that other Canadians will react, I don't think you're going to see a groundswell Um, amongst Canadians to free mizement, i.e. to bend our legal system to accommodate Chinese wishes. Um, Even with two detained Canadians and one potentially executed Canadian, I just don't think that's the way that Canadians roll. Um, I could be wrong, but I think there'll be a a strong negative reaction in Canada. Uh, I think that both sides are locked into their positions. Both believe that they are, are right in what they're doing. And uh, that doesn't make for easy compromise. On the Canadian side, compromise is exceptionally difficult. It's not impossible because it is before the courts.
0: Any reason? Uh, y- you know, we talked uh, way back when, uh, when when the first CFO was, uh, when the CFO was first arrested, and, and then retaliation started, and then it appeared then it appeared that there was you know one more, and then another one, and then another one. Any reason to think? that this isn't going to continue until the CFO is released or whatever? And and, and we're, we all know that's going to take some time.
1: Well, we have two Canadians whom we believe were detained for security reasons. There was one case on an immigration file where they may simply not have gotten the benefit. Doubt would have been the case earlier, and she's been released and, and returned. Right. Um, the danger period for me would be if and when... Um, Madame Meng is extradited. There would be a risk there again, perhaps, of a further action. It could be a detention. It could be something else that's not going to go unnoticed um, by China. Um, after that, I would think that the ball would shift to the American side, and we would probably be done with that that range of tit-for-tat. Um, but that would—we're uh, well, not out of the woods, and I have no idea when Ms. Meng would depart— uh there are uh, this is an appealable thing um uh, extradition um uh, detent- uh, the extradition order from Canadian court is appealable and this could drag on for a long time so we may be in this sort of um twilight zone of a risk of retaliation um for some time yet
0: uh safe for canadians to go to china
1: you ask a really difficult question uh, my own view is yes, it is safe for Canadians to go to China, but with two provisos, I would add. Number one, um, watch that concert advice very carefully. Right now it still reads, um, use high degree of caution. If they move to postpone um, non-essential travel, which would be the next step up, I would certainly follow that. Secondly, um, Canadians should uh, be very careful to follow Chinese law and to not conduct any activities that would get them into trouble. But I, there are, at this point, tens of thousands of, of um, Canadian citizens in China, maybe 50,000, not counting the 300,000 in Hong Kong. Uh, most of these would be Canadians of Chinese origin. Uh, on any given day, there's a dozen flights or so to, to China, so there'd be mm-hmm. um, hundreds more who are going there today. Um, I would argue there's not the time to slam the door and travel to China, but I would certainly watch that website, the, the Global Affairs Canada website on council advice, and I would be very careful to not do anything that would bring down trouble upon oneself
0: uh you brought up something interesting. how are chinese Canadians viewing this? What's life like for them those that have moved from there to here?
1: Well, there's two things and uh i would i say first of all, I'd say that the vast majority of those who moved to our country, um many of whom are now citizens and they consider themselves citizens and they see themselves as Canadians first, I suspect they probably have the same reaction as other Canadians uh, general, uh, but maybe even heightened the fact that uh, this is their former motherland. Uh, they may feel particularly unhappy about that. They want good relations in Canada where they've come from. Um, first, for a few, uh, they may feel still, They perhaps people who have just arrived or here temporarily, they, they may feel for the Chinese position, things like drug trafficking uh, running trafficking very deep in the Chinese psyche. But my general impression uh, from talking to Canadians of Chinese origin, uh, many of whom uh, live in my current hometown of Edmonton and work in my institute, they're more or less horrified this has all come about, and they really don't want that kind of situation uh, pertaining to relations between Canada and China. And this is beginning to contaminate the entire relationship or a good part of it. this is unwelcome by them. So I'd argue their reaction is probably very similar to the rest of other Canadians.
0: Gordon Holden has been with us, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. Gordon, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, said on Friday that Canada had accepted a request from the UN to take in uh, Rahaf Mohammed al kunin who had grabbed international attention earlier this week after she barricaded herself in a Bangkok airport hotel room to resist being sent home to her family, uh, which denies any abuse. Her uh, brother and father had showed up to to take her back home, and of course she did not want to go. Uh, Christia Freeland uh, welcomed her into Toronto over the weekend. Giddy Maman is with us, senior partner, founder of Maman Sandaluk, and Kingwell LLP and is with us now. Thanks for the time, Giddy. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. So tell us what is different about this case than others or th- that are similar to it?
2: Well, it's actually quite uh, quite different. We don't see this kind of Reception by Canada very often. Um, You know, she was granted uh, refugee protection, uh, which will give her rights to remain in Canada permanently. Uh, One might have thought that, uh, you know, maybe uh, the Prime Minister could have granted her temporary uh, entry to Canada while the Immigration Refugee Board, uh, for example, could have tested out the veracity. Of her claims of abuse by her her male uh, relatives, including her father and I think brothers, uh, so it, it, you don't see this every day. That's uh, that's for sure. But uh, it it is definitely going to play well uh, in the upcoming elections in October. It's going to uh, uh, I think give the liberals a feel good story to uh, talk about. Uh, in terms of their values and their principles uh, uh, coming up in in, in uh, 10 months or so.
0: You know, Giddy, when I was watching this story unfold over the weekend I thought, wow, what a great story and then as soon as I saw Christia Freeland there at the airport uh, almost, you know, commanding y- y- her, her entry into Canada, that's immediately what I thought and, you know, I, I talked to friends, oh, you're cynical, you're this, you're that but that's immediately what I thought was, my goodness, this has become political, this has become a PR uh, stunt for the government is that accurate?
2: Well, what you're what you're saying has crossed my mind, obviously, um, and I think uh, the minds of many Canadians. And the real question is: uh, What are we doing here? Are we establishing a permanent Canadian policy? Uh, is this what's going to happen moving forward? If somebody uh, barricades themselves in an airport and they tell a good story. Uh, are we going to grant them permanent status here in Canada without testing the veracity of the story? If so, what's going to be the role of the uh, Immigration Refugee Board? That's what they're there for. Um, you remember that in the 2015, when uh, the, you know uh, Justin Trudeau agreed to take in um, the Syrians, uh, the Syrian refugees, following that uh, terrible picture of the little right. boy. Uh, on the beach, uh, there was a, a huge uh, swelling of sympathy uh, for refugees, and uh, you know, a favorable result, obviously, for the Liberal Party. Um, I think this is quite, definitely not of the same scale, but of the same uh, flavor. Uh, this is a, a great feel-good story, but there are implications that we have to consider uh, about this. Uh, this. Is this going to be happening all the time now? We, you know, we have relationships with uh, Saudi Arabia which is a completely different story. We should always be protecting people regardless of our relationships, but you have to at the same time consider what those possibilities uh, are. You know, we have about 20,000 Canadians living in Saudi Arabia. We have a major contract, a military uh, equipment contract with uh, Saudi Arabia that we don't know what's going on with. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia and Canadian relations are at an all-time low, Um is this part of the one-upsmanship here, or is this just sound refugee policy? It's very hard. Um, it's very hard, very hard to tell.
0: Uh, the fact that the UN requested this, how much more weight does it give this case? You said you don't see this sort of thing happen very often. Uh, is social media now a refugee's best friend?
2: Well, I think it's the best friend for a lot of people. Look, uh, you know, the uh, the president of the United States is using uh, Twitter to yeah. reach right to the uh, right to his, the people. He he's circumventing the media and going straight to the American populace. And this uh, this woman did essentially the same thing, uh, rather than making her claim to the Immigration Refugee Board and having a council and sitting there and you know filing all kinds of papers. All she did was go on Twitter, let the whole world know what's going on. Uh, you know, the drama ensued. Uh, and everybody wants to look good. The UN wants to look good. The Canadian government wants to look good. Uh, in this case, at a very, very small, immediate price. Now, what happens after October is a different story, uh, because uh, you know the question is going to be, by October, are we going to have another dozen or a couple dozen of these things? And if we do, what is going to be our position then? Um, you know, if, if there are more, you know, there may be other people who are even more deserving to come forward. Are we going to be in a position then to say, yes, you can come too? And then what will that, what will that create in terms of a, uh, of, of a, of a new stream of, of refugees to Canada? Not only will they be coming from the southern border from the United States and, you know, flying in, uh, with visas, et cetera, but now sort of coming in through the invitation of the of a senior minister of the uh, of, of the Liberal cabinet. I'm uh,
0: I'm guessing that there are a lot more women that feel the exact same way as as this team does. Is her case any more serious than the others who are standing in line, per se?
2: Well, I, I have no idea. I have no idea that, you know, there's there there hasn't been a hearing. There hasn't been a process by which we can test the evidence. We Are you know surprised
0: it. she was granted immediate uh, uh, citizenship as opposed to going through those steps? I mean, this is similar to the hole in the fence. I mean, you just don't grant it to everybody. You still have them go through the process.
2: That's right. Somebody who comes in through the hole in the fence uh, has only begun the journey. Uh, he you know, he or she has to retain counsel. They have to fill out very detailed forms. Uh, they have to present their case to a member of the Immigration Refugee Board and they, they have to await a decision on the merits. Um, this didn't happen in this particular case, and we don't know, we really don't know. Like What's, what's going to happen, for example, if, if in a few days or weeks or whatever, uh, evidence comes out that you know raises questions about the veracity of her story? I would have thought, if I was the Prime Minister, maybe I would have said, you know what, let's take her in, let's grant her a temporary resident permit, uh, let's get her out of the airport. That's no way for a young woman to uh, to, yeah. be, uh, to be living. Let's bring her here and let's figure out what's going on, and uh, we'll make a decision. And that, I think, would have been a more conservative approach, but uh, certainly it wouldn't have been as dramatic, that's for sure.
0: Um... <sighs> Is this, will this or could this be similar to way back when, when the prime minister, after Donald Trump started going on his rampage, the prime minister standing up and, and basically welcoming anybody uh, to come into the country? We're accepting of you. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then, you know, we started to see the increase scenarios uh, at the border. Are you anticipating the same sort of thing with this? Is this just 100%. another way in? 100%.
2: There, there is no doubt that there are going to be copycat claims. Uh, whether they are genuine or not, we won't know. We'll have to wait and see. But there is no question that there is some, somebody out there who's saying, hey, that was a pretty good idea. Let me give that a try. And uh, that is exactly what happened with the infamous tweet of Justin Trudeau early in his mandate when, uh, when, when Donald Trump was being uh, highly criticized For his attitude towards refugees, and he says, you know, Canada's a welcoming place; we welcome everybody. Um, That had an immediate uh, and significant impact. Uh, This is exactly like that tweet. Uh, It's a message to the world that Canada's a welcoming place, and it reinforces that message. And that that may be okay. I mean, that's uh, you know, if if Canada wants to do Mm -hmm. this on a regular basis, that's terrific. But I don't know if that discussion has been had, and the repercussions have been properly considered because a very, very short time uh, has elapsed since the time that this girl surfaced, this young woman surfaced, and the decision on Friday uh, to grant her admission.
0: How many more girls do you think there are, similar to this teen, trying to do the same?
2: Well, trying to do the same, I have no idea. But there's got to be uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of young women in this situation. There's got to be millions. Yeah. Uh, take a look at you know, countries like Afghanistan, for example. Uh, they're not allowed to get educated. They can't do anything on their own. They're, they're forced into marriages that they don't want to be uh, involved in. Um, and maybe they don't have the financial means that this young woman might have had to get an airline ticket, you know, destined, I think, to Australia. Um, but you, you have to imagine that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of young women whose rights are not being respected. I mean, in Saudi Arabia, you look at that, that entire society, until recently, no woman was allowed to drive, even. Yeah. And and now I, I'm reading reports that say that women are now finally uh, being given the right to receive a, t- uh, a text message uh, letting them know that their husbands have divorced them. So uh, why should we think that her situation is any different than the situation of all young women in Saudi Arabia? Um. We, we just don't know what those, what those numbers are. So if, the, if another one surfaces tomorrow, the interesting thing is, is going to be to watch uh, how, uh, how the Prime Minister handles that, because that person is going to say, well, I'm in the same position as her. How come you gave her this treatment and you're not giving me the same treatment?
0: So is this more PR than progress?
2: Uh, this decision was not consistent with how we have been doing immigration in Canada for for as long as I've known in the last 30 years. This is not typically uh, how we do things. So I cannot say that this is a reflection of uh, the consideration and the decision on sound immigration policy. So the future will tell. Uh, we'll see if, uh, if this is a one-off thing, then it's a stunt. If we are now going to accept uh, all people at the airports who are stuck in a, in a terminal who have, on the face of it, a, a, a compelling story, then this is, uh, this is our new direction. Uh, I just don't think it's the second. I, I just think that uh, people from the CBSA and the Immigration Refugee Board are going to be having a quiet discussion with the Prime Minister and saying, you have no idea the situation you've put us in.
0: Hmm. Uh, this seems, you, know, you were talking about uh, the rules and in, in, in how we've been talking, or, or in, certainly been in the media, how Saudi Arabia had pro- been progressing, allowing women to drive, but that seemed to gather more attention here than the actual Guardian rule which, uh, you know, in their social rules, that includes the uh, requirement that women have permission of a male, a male guardian, in order to do a lot of activities in life, uh, including travel. So, as you mentioned, this would apply to virtually every woman in in Saudi Arabia.
2: That's right. I I can't imagine another another 18-year-old girl who's not in this situation. Yeah. I, I just cannot imagine it. So my question is, if, uh, if, if she uh, comes out of the woodwork and shows up at another airport, what what is Canada's policy? You know, a, a one-off, a one-off uh, uh, act of charity, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be worried about because, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the moment, I guess. Uh, it's a, an inspiration, and, and we, we sometimes do that as human beings. But you have to understand that it's going to draw other people towards you. And now you have to sit down and and have a sober conversation and say, uh, how many of these can we afford to take, and are we ready uh, for the arguments that are going to be made? Uh, I have a more compelling or an equally compelling case. What are you going to do for me? And if you don't do the same thing, um, then it it, it has to be, um, uh, you know, a bit of opportunism on our part. you know, solving this young woman's problem is is fantastic. I'm actually quite happy. Yeah, and who wouldn't be? Right. I, I think it's great. I think she's going to come to Canada. She seems like a liberal-minded young woman, and she's definitely going to have a 100% better life being able to make choices uh, on her own. Uh, but that hasn't solved the problem for any women.
0: Uh, in Saudi Arabia. And this is really no different or in any way a more special case than any of those, is it? It doesn't appear to be at this time. Right.
2: I, I, I think that um, the plight of women in Saudi Arabia is horrible, but um, there are, it's, it's a, a, fa- a financially well off country. Not too many women are starving and facing war, et cetera, in their country in sharp contrast to the women and young young girls in Afghanistan, for example, who, in my opinion, whose lives are far more miserable than the lives of women in Saudi Arabia. So I, I would expect that if we saw 100 women next month from Afghanistan uh, stranded in an airport trying to reach Canada, uh, I would, if I was the prime minister's advisor, I'm going to have to tell them, look, you're going to have to come up with, Some way of distinguishing the plight of that woman, who you were very generous with, uh, to these women who, you know, if you allow this hundred, the next group will be a thousand. And are you prepared for that? That's a discussion I think his senior advisors have to have with him.
0: Uh, Critics may say that this is a cynical uh, approach to this. It's a cynical opinion. Does this draw more attention to the problem? At least it does that.
2: Well, I hope so. Um, I don't really know that there's a lot of Canadians who don't realize that um, women in the Middle East and some parts of the world have it very, very hard. Um, the world, in many countries in the world, uh, the life of women is, uh, is a tremendous challenge. Uh, you know, there's stories of, of uh, you know, family members uh, killing uh, their immediate relatives who've shamed them. We've seen women have, you know, uh, acid thrown in their faces, women who've never been able to step foot in a school, never given the opportunity to be the, 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 the individual that they are. Um, that's, the, that's the reality that we see uh, in, the, in the refugee world. Uh, yes, I'm very happy for this woman, but I'm I'm always looking for the most deserving, because Canada is not going to take every woman from Afghanistan and every woman from maybe Iran or Saudi Arabia or other countries like that. We're not. We're simply not going to do that. So the question is, how are we going to um, offer the greatest protection, the most valuable assistance uh, to those in the greatest need? That's the real question.
0: Uh, could this could this approach backfire for uh, the prime minister um, and how does Saudi Arabia view the fact that that, you know, the the minister was parading this girl around in front of the media?
2: They're not going to be happy and there is going to be a diplomatic cost. And in my opinion, I think there's they're they're going to want to extract a pound of financial flesh from Canada. They're going to want to tell Canada, listen, you're making us look terrible, you're making us look awful, and we're, you know, we're not going to put up with that anymore. I'm not saying that they're going to be more or less respectful towards women. I certainly don't think that they're going to allow Canada to appear to be the champion of uh, women's, uh, women's rights. So I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden change their, their attitudes uh, much differently than they've already been planning to but I do think they're going to want to extract a pound of flesh from uh, from from Canada because like you said uh, she didn't just walk off of a plane and hustled into a car by you know awaiting the adoring fans she was she was paraded by a senior cabinet member yeah you know and the doors opened up and there she was uh, with the you know with basically Justin Trudeau's right hand person and uh, the, the message is loud and clear. This is something that they're—they're they're throwing this in the face of Saudi Arabia, and I have no reason to think they're just going to take it
0: lightly. Yeah, at least they were smart enough to put Christia Freeland there instead of the prime minister. That would have been way over the top.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it would have—it it would have just been a dead bullseye uh, to those who are saying that this is a. Uh, you know, a 2019 election campaign, that trick, uh, it would have just been too obvious. So yes, I think that, that his his choice was a much better one. It's uh, you know, a woman receiving another woman in this situation plays, I think, very well for the upcoming election.
0: Giddy, my man, has been with us, senior partner, founder of my man, Sandaluk Kingwell LLP. He is an immigration lawyer. As always, Giddy, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A Washington Post article says that Donald Trump has made uh, an effort to conceal all the details about his face-to-face encounters with Vladimir Putin from Russia from senior officials in the administration. You might remember way back when uh, Trump and Putin met and lots were complaining back then that the meeting was just the two of them other than a translator. And then the conversation kind of died because there was something else to talk about, I'm sure. Uh, but nothing more came of it until now. Uh, here is a clip of Trump, I guess, reacting to these new allegations. The people doing that investigation were people that have been caught that are known scoundrels. they I guess you could say, they're dirty cops. So what appears to have been happened is the fact that he was so secretive about that way back when, that triggered an investigation. And that is what the president is talking about. Let's bring in Michael Diamond, conservative political pundit. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. So uh, again, we remember when this came out after the meeting that nobody seemed to know what was going on. Nobody seemed to, well, I guess people cared, but nothing really came of it. Why are we getting, why are we making hay of this now?
3: Well, you know, Trump would say it's uh, because of the Amazon lobbyist uh, Washington Post newspaper. Uh,
0: but but look, this is something
3: that a lot of people have been talking about for, for a long time, and not just this, this individual meeting, but the entire relationship, which at one point Donald Trump— shockingly kind of lied about when he said that he and Putin were stable, stable mates on 60 Minutes, when he really meant they both had appearances on 60 Minutes at the same night, didn't actually meet. So, you know, it, it's as back and forth with Trump wanting to project a closeness with Vladimir Putin and then denying it. Uh, but if you think back to, I believe it was the second presidential debate, and Hillary Clinton said that Vladimir Putin would prefer this man in the White House to me because he wants a puppet. And his uh, his reaction to that was pretty strong. He calls her the puppet, was uh, would have been you know I think pretty effective in a class presidential race and you know in the fifth grade or something. But um, it, it's really a very strange friendship and relationship, one that uh, the president has no benefit from, uh, but uh, seems
0: to refused to go out of his way to repudiate the man that would clear it all up. So the perception that he is up to something, and and again, he does nothing to deter that perception, that is what has started that initial investigation from the FBI.
3: Well, there, I mean, the, the investigation, uh, from, from, the FBI, which, uh, all these investigations, you know, it's funny, uh, if you watch the, uh, Clinton affair series on A&E, there's a line in it that if you, if you give someone a big enough budget and a large enough mandate, they can find some that every American's done something that, uh, that, uh, breaches. So with these investigations, uh, they, they, they ebb and they flow and they, they evolve and they change. So, uh, obviously where there was, there was smoke. Um, uh, if you look at the the hacks of the DNC, the hacks of Hillary Clinton's campaign, and uh, and uh, some of the efforts that went on uh, allegedly to help Bernie Sanders by the Russians and help Donald Trump by the Russians to hurt uh, Hillary Clinton's candidacy, uh, obviously there's there's just a uh, critical mass of uh, smoke that. Uh, has folks realize it's time to move beyond that.
0: Is is that info that was gathered uh, during those early days, is that now in front of Mueller? Is that part of that investigation? investigation? Oh, look, I
3: mean, with these investigations, they're so unruly and they, they meander along. Yes, absolutely. Like What's Bob Mueller looking at? Everything, you know? Did Donald Trump go to the Russian tea room in New York City for lunch at some point? Bob Mueller knows.
0: Uh, what about uh, Trump's reaction? Known scoundrels, dirty cops. It sounds pretty desperate.
3: Look, yeah, well, I- I- exactly, and you know, I mean, I- if you think back, um, you know, Bill Clinton had others attack Ken Star, and. Uh, v- and the investigators and damn, you know, Richard Nixon, of course, you know, politicians can be political and attack fellow politicians, but when it it comes to that, you get, you get surrogates, you get other people to do it. Donald Trump has no problem if it's, if it's blaming, you know, Jeff Bozo, uh, for his troubles or, or crooked lying Bob Mueller or, um, or, or, or James Comey, whom he wouldn't be president today without, uh, you know, Donald Trump is willing to engage in name-calling and, and tactics to defend himself that other presidents would have properly left to others.
0: I guess the biggest interview in the world would be that with the translator. Uh, now, apparently, uh, the accusations are coming out that he took the notes from the translator. Will we ever see those notes? Will we ever know what really happened in that meeting?
3: if i'm that translator i'm uh going into the witness protection program yeah, exactly uh, you know, when you know uh vladimir putin is not an adversary you want to have if you're a regular person and frankly uh you know donald trump just uh twitter reach. so 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 i i don't think so you know if, if the notes were taken by the president no they were they were destroyed promptly uh you know there's certain meetings notes shouldn't be taken in as well and uh uh that would that would be one such
0: such meeting. So, uh, is it not just incredibly uh, against protocol that this meeting even happened the way that it did, with no one having any notes or or or, or documentation from this meeting? Look, I mean, I think there are conversations
3: between between uh, world leaders and, and elected officials and politicians that that should be. You know, t- occur wi- without notes. That should occur without without records. There should be uh, a, a time for frankness. But uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is not exactly an ally, nor nor should anyone seek to make him an ally.
0: Uh, does this news of this investigation that broke this weekend—that you know, once Trump started painting this picture of being buddy buddy in the bromance with Putin—that triggering this. This deeper investigation is there any? Is this any more significant? Does this change anything, or is this just more of the same?
3: You know, it's more of the same because look, we're in such a polarized uh, uh, period in American uh, politics and in public discourse in the United States that, uh, like, you know, name me the voters who are abandoning Donald Trump over this because I I think they're as mythical as the unicorn.
0: Um, How long can, where will we end up after, where will Americans end up after Donald Trump has finished discrediting all of these organizations, which are the basis of our society?
3: You know, it, it, is, it is interesting to think, well, what is the long-term
0: effects uh, of Donald Trump? Because
3: if you look at other presidents, uh, and I'm looking right now at a campaign poster of, from Richard Nixon that's uh, hung in my office, and, and if, if you look at Richard Nixon, did, did things that happened during his administration threaten the presidency and hurt the republic? Yes, but what it also proved was that the republic was stronger, that the Constitution was stronger than the falls of any one administration, and that uh, the sun did rise again with his resignation, and he did not hurt democracy in the United States. Now, with with Donald Trump, it it is different because... Again, we're much more polarized then. It was congressional Republicans. It was Barry Goldwater, uh, senator from Arizona, and the chair of the Republican National Committee, George Herbert Walker Bush, who went in to tell the president that it was time to go, and Goldwater, who told him that if he was impeached, that as a member of the Senate, he would vote to convict him on the articles of impeachment, even though they were in the same party. Uh, we don't have that right now. We have Republicans, uh, for the most part, with very few exceptions, who are scared to speak out, uh, are scared to say anything different uh, than uh, the president's line because it's not the party's line anymore; it's the president's line, and they're they're fearful for their nomination or their reelection or being made fun of on Twitter. But uh, you know, Lindsey Graham's a guy who should be right now speaking out and and uh, defending the institutions that Donald Trump is attacking, and he's not. So I actually do think in this case, unlike Richard Nixon's disgraceful and uh, conduct in the White House during his reelection campaign or Bill Clinton's disgraceful antics. In the Oval Office, uh, as president, where the republic was stronger than these, uh, the republic and the institutions were stronger than any one man. Uh, Donald Trump's different, and I think if there are people who are a bit fearful about it, they're not—they're not not without merit.
0: Uh, There's certainly been lots of presidents in the past that have had a lapse in judgment, but let's be honest: this seems a bit more serious than someone who's fooling around with somebody in the Oval Office well, I mean, Bill Clinton, it wasn't
3: that he was
0: just fooling around with someone in the Oval office. He did break a uh,
3: a, a law, and he, he did commit perjury. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't discount his no. both moral and legal disgrace of the office he held, which I think is significant. But absolutely, I mean, this is a whole different level. And it's the, the uh, attacks and the uh, it's the attacks that uh, Donald Trump's willing to engage upon and uh, to defend himself that is also certainly problematic.
0: At what point does the Republican Party say, you know what? If we dump this guy now, we'll look good. Um, you see, is, is, is that is that point is that intersection coming? Is that
3: something that's coming, is uh, is my is my thought. I don't think it is. Uh, and, and again, you don't have Barry Goldwater walking into the White House to tell President Nixon that he will vote uh, to uh, convict him on articles of impeachment right. uh, anymore. You have Lindsey Graham, who voted against Donald Trump, who, after Donald Trump was nominated, uh, put out a, a statement uh, to the effect that there's 300 million people in the United States. Why is it? Like, how on earth are, are the two candidates, Hillary Clinton? And Donald J. Trump, that we ought to do better. Uh, so, so if Lindsey Graham doesn't do this, there, there's very few that will. You know, you see Ben Sasse has sort of slowed his role. Jeff Flake decided to, instead of, uh, instead of uh, fight it, he yep. uh, didn't seek re-election. I don't know if they're connected or not. Bob Corker, the people who really uh, if re- re- main large Republican figures who would stand up them, have either slowed down or left which means those hoping uh, who have are holding out hope that we're going to see a Republican resistance to Donald Trump are left standing with Mitt Romney.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
3: And, you know, not the strongest-willed fellow. The man has two positions on at least everything. But at least two positions on everything.
0: Michael Diamond has been with us, conservative political pundit. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated.